Hello and welcome to another podcast from Hepatitis Victoria Liverwell. Dr. Alex Hodge is an expert in chronic liver disease and a gastroenterologist. He has a special interest in obesity and the many ways to combat it. I asked him first about why he focuses on what he calls waste loss and not weight loss. Now, waste, of course, we're talking about uh, W-A-I-S-T, uh, you know, your waist circumference. You know, that catchphrase is, you know, it's fun to say, but what I'm talking about really is central adiposity, so visceral fat. So that's fat inside the abdomen, and so that's the fat we want to lose. And is there a particular waist size or waist shape? There are measurements that uh, are dependent on, you know, gender and uh, ethnicity, um, which, you know, which are quite specific, but generally it's that weight around the middle it's the fat that you can't generally pinch you know it's not the love handles but it's that sort of that round belly that's the the weight that's bad you've mentioned in your research i've read that something like 40 percent of australians have this um, propensity or Mm. even have this waste Mm. issue and it's also affecting children is that a trend which is getting better worse no the trend unfortunately is not getting better it's slowly increasing and yeah, you're, you're correct, it's, it's affecting children. And, and the long-term ramifications, particularly for children, we're just not entirely clear on yet. And in terms of like liver health, having fatty liver, what's the big deal? I mean, do many people go on to develop cirrhosis? Yeah, so fatty liver, I mean, it's quite common, as you know. And uh, some studies suggest that almost 30% of the entire world has fatty liver. So we're talking about fat in the liver from generally lifestyle, not from alcohol, but this is non-alcoholic fatty liver. And we're talking third world countries, developing countries, so almost 30% of the world. As far as it as a liver disease, well, even if you, you know, if you look at the, the studies, generally less than 5%, you know, around 3% of people with non-alcohol induced fatty liver will go on to have significant liver disease. And what I mean by that is liver cirrhosis. The way I like to look at fatty liver is I, I just call it, you know, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or NAFLD. And under that umbrella, there's various subtypes. And some of them are people who just have fat in the liver or others have NASH. And that's the fat plus inflammation. And it's those people who typically are at risk of developing liver fibrosis. And then, as I said, at its worst stage, we call that liver cirrhosis. Those people will be ones that uh, often have abnormal liver enzymes or they'll have some imaging which suggests they may have some degree of liver damage. And how prevalent is that in Australia? So estimate around, you know, say 25 to 30% has uh, fatty liver. And let's say, you know, 10% of those people or you know, 15%, depending on the studies you look at, have the inflammatory component. You know, that's a reasonable number of people. Now, of course, a smaller proportion of those will go on to have cirrhosis. In terms of the people that might have fatty liver or or NASH as well, do you have any simple recommendations of things that they should do in their daily lives? So the way I look at fatty liver is this. I look at what the fat can do inside the liver and then what the fat means for the patient outside the liver. So inside the liver, the fat can cause inflammation and fibrosis or cirrhosis. And outside the liver, the fat itself is a risk factor for developing diabetes. And of course, the recommendations for both of those are generally the same. And what what we usually talk about is lifestyle modification. But really what that means is focusing in on diet as well as activity, sort of exercise. And when it comes to diet, well, there's many different ways that you you can approach weight loss. 
But if you look at the most recent studies, probably the best diet for liver health is usually you know similar to what we we have in the uh, Eat, eating well guide. Exactly, kind of the liver yeah, eating which well you endorse guide. very yeah. well. Yeah, it's a very similar to a Cretan Mediterranean diet, and we we couple that with coffee uh, and of course exercise. Is it just about eating less, or is it about eating better? And what about intermittent fasting? Those types of diets mm-hmm. are they useful? Well, it is about eating better. If you had to distill it down, I mean, it's really about cutting back on those bad calories. We're talking about the starchy vegetables and the carbohydrates, you know, the breads, the pastas, potatoes and, and rice, cutting back on those things and uh, focusing more on, you know, whole grains, good oils, uh, good fats, um, vegetables, above ground plants and lean protein. So that's eating better. Now, eating less, of course, you know, yes, I mean, often we eat too much. Uh, which leads us to, I think, the next thing you asked, which was about intermittent fasting. And fasting essentially is eating less, but eating less over a period of time. And there's many ways that people have done that. You know, there's, there's what we call time-restricted feeding, which is where people stop eating in the evening, and they don't start eating again until sometime later in the afternoon, essentially fasting for about 16 hours a day. And then there's the people who apply sort of what we you know, often refer to as the 5 plus 2 or, or some variation thereof, which is where people would eat normally for five Five days a week and two days a week they would literally eat you know very little so they would fast and maybe have very few calories during that day and both of those types of approaches yes you will lose weight there's many different ways to lose weight and like all sorts of types of diets best to be coupled with some form of exercise so we don't lose muscle mass you need to lose generally at least five percent of body weight to have meaningful liver improvements so that's sort of the, the figure we start with it's quite specific isn't yeah. it uh, generally, you know, five to seven, but, you know, start with five. I know you presented in San Francisco a while ago about mm. the benefits of coffee. All the studies on coffee have been positive studies. So not just the study that I did, but many other studies that have come after show that there's an association between coffee consumption and improvement in various liver parameters. Now, there's not been any causal studies. What I mean by that is there's not been a study yet that has actually given people coffee and over a period of time see how their liver gets better. But having said that, there's many studies showing that people who drink four or more cups of coffee a day have things like less liver cancer, less liver fibrosis, and that's certainly been demonstrated in not only my study but other studies. It's caffeinated coffee, but they usually don't discriminate between the various types. So it doesn't appear to be, at least in the study that I did, it it could be instant coffee, espresso-based coffee, filtered coffee, which isn't consumed much here. But yeah, those coffees seem to be equivalent. It's a a one one equivalent cup of coffee, depending on the type of coffee that you're making. And you said in in a report that I saw that two cups of coffee a day for people with hepatitis C, Hmm. four cups for people with fatty liver. Following on from that, I think now generally it's four cups, we say. So four cups. Four cups a day or more, without sugar, of course. So is that something you're going to be doing more research in or, or not? Um, I mean, of course, I'm interested in it. I've, I've sort of turned my focus more on, on uh, specific pharmacotherapies for fatty liver. So, you know, looking after clinical trials in that uh, domain is sort of what I've been focusing on. Where are we going with treatments or remedies, mm-hmm. pharmaceutical remedies for um, fatty liver? Yeah, so as you, you're not probably not surprised to hear, um, there's a 
huge interest in the in in the uh, development of therapies pharmacotherapies for fatty liver because it's such a global problem so many drug companies are pouring you know money into research and defining therapy but like you probably would also be not surprised to hear is that because it's a weight related and it's a condition that involves you know, fat or steatosis there's many pathways involved in the inflammatory and fibrotic process so there's a lot of different medications targeting various pathways and there's quite a few trials currently uh, running and we're seeing so far seeing some you know decent results but we're still a ways away from having something that we can prescribe to patients you know in the in the, in the clinic over the last few years i mean since your phd i think you completed that in 2015 i mean you've worked with patients directly i mean has anything surprised you about the development of, of fatty liver or the liver disease that you notice is anything that's popped out that which actually you didn't expect to see um yeah i'd probably say two, two things firstly as you alluded to or you mentioned earlier is the young people so we're seeing younger people i think with fatty liver the second one would probably be uh, i think people still under the notion that you know it's the fat in their diet that causes fatty liver as opposed to a lot of the high caloric foods you know like the breads and the pastas the sugars the soft drinks that are the things that actually lead to fatty liver so that's been surprising and then something which is not surprising but still still in our society today you know all the majority of the fast food industry still peddles high caloric high sugar high carbohydrate foods do you think that there's a bigger role for government to actually point out that fact? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it has to be some top-down approach here to regulate that, that industry and, and start making changes so that you know, the population can be healthier. Sugar itself being classed as more of a risk rather than just a sweetener. Correct, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk quickly about other drinks, water, alcohol, mm orange juice, these kinds of drinks. When you're talking to a patient, how do you advise them? I'll talk first about the alcohol. So, you know, recently, probably as as recent as the last maybe two years, there's been some very large studies that have come out which have shown that there unfortunately is really no safe amount of alcohol that we can recommend in patients. Uh, You know, previously we, we would often say, you know, if you follow the Australian guidelines, then that you should be okay, you should be safe. But I think now probably what we shouldn't be saying. I think, you know, if you want to, if someone asks you, you know, what is the safest amount of alcohol that I can drink? The answer is zero. Um, I mean, studies have shown in, in patients with fatty liver disease of the non-alcoholic type, even a modest amount of alcohol impedes the liver's ability to improve. So that's one thing which has changed in the last couple of years. Uh, water, well, water is a great beverage. Um, juice, on the other hand, is, is often high in sugar. So we usually recommend people don't drink uh, much in the way of uh, you know, fruit juices and certainly not uh, sugar-added fruit juice. It's a very hard one, isn't it? Because we do see so many different conflicting pieces of research, especially about alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard, uh, alcohol, and particularly in fatty liver, um, we now, as I said, we now say it's, it's zero is the safest amount. Even red wine. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> even red wine. <laughs> Where do you see this whole issue of fatty liver, NASH, and liver health developing in the next 20, 30 years? Where I'd like to see us and where I think we probably will end up is I think we'll see a, a concerted sort of multidisciplinary approach to this. Because as you know, the liver is attached to the rest of the body and fatty liver is a risk factor for diabetes. You know, It's associated with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, uh, obstructive sleep apnea. 
and of course it's tied linked into obesity so you know what i think will end up happening which i'd like to see is a multidisciplinary approach to patient care where you've got endocrinologists gastroenterologists dietitians psychologists nurses all working together looking at the patient as a whole and having a coordinated effort at patient care Finally, just one or two points that anybody listening to this might do to make their liver more healthy, if you like, or healthier. Drinking coffee is, is beneficial. Eating better and eating less. So following the, um, the well Eat, Eat Well guidelines uh, or, you know, or Cretan Mediterranean diet and along with exercise. And exercise, both resistance and, and uh, cardio. But, you know, any kind of exercise is better than none. So at least getting out there and doing some, some movement. So those would be the, the, the three sort of things that I would suggest. You know, I think what can happen, you know, and this is just a normal human trait, is that when something is very common, we tend to normalize it. And, you know, that happens in all aspects of our life. So, you know, just because, you know, you and your neighbor and your family has fatty liver, that doesn't make it normal. And I think we just need to be aware, um, you know, to become complacent. And, you know, these are things that we need to focus on for our long-term health of our families and and us as individuals and certainly as, as the population as a whole. That was Dr. Alex Hodge. Find out more about what we are doing at Hepatitis Victoria Liverwell at our website, hepvic.org.au. Thank you very much.